Hello, fellow nerds. Check out our network site, nerdsloth.com. You can also connect with us on social media like the Facebook, the Twitter, and the Instagram. If you like what you hear, look for Nerdsloth on Patreon and consider donating to help us continue delivering quality shows straight to your ears. If you'd like to help the shows out for free, head over to iTunes and write a heartfelt review. I mean it. Make me cry happy tears. But seriously, though, anything you can do really helps us out and we love you for it. Hi, this is Marjorie Liu from New York Comic Con, and be sure to listen to Adrian Has Issues. Hey everybody, welcome to a very special episode of Adrian Has Issues. I'm Adrian. And I'm Eileen. Back in episode 62, entitled The Buddy System, Adrian and I spoke with Buddy Scalera, a noted content strategist, author, and journalist. Buddy also has an extensive background in comic book writing, having worked on Deadpool for Marvel Comics, and publishing creator-owned titles like Necrotic and Seven Days of Fame through After Hours Press. But he is perhaps best known for his role as the founder of the company Comic Book School, which, as the name suggests, aims to educate people in the creation, sales, and marketing of comic books. In association with Red Bull and Marvi Uchida, Buddy's Comic Book School hosted a block of educational panels at New York Comic Con 2016. The panels included Creator Connection, Visual Storytelling, Creators Demonstrate Page Breakdown, Plotting to Pencils, Sequential Art and Visual Storytelling, and Creator Studio with Joe Quesada. The Adrian Has Issues podcast has partnered with Comic Book School to present these panels, the first of which is Creator Studio with Joe Quesada. In an intimate one-on-one conversation, Buddy Sclera speaks with Joe Quesada, the former editor-in-chief and current chief creative officer of Marvel Comics. Joe discusses his rise to the ranks as an artist on titles for Valiant, DC, and Marvel, eventually running the latter during one of the company's most tumultuous eras. For more information on Comic Book School, visit them at comicbookschool.com. Thank you for listening to Adrian Has Issues. Please be sure to visit adrianhasissues.com to stream or download our other great episodes. Like us on Facebook at Adrian Has Issues, on Instagram at Adrian Has Issues Pod, and follow us on Twitter at Adrian Has Issues. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and on the Satchel Podcast app, available on iOS and Android. Adrian Has Issues is a proud member of the Nerdsloth Network, home to such great podcasts as Nerds on Tap, Cinefreak Critique, and Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom. Visit them at nerdsloth.com. And now, without further ado, here's Creator Studio with Joe Casada. So I create educational materials. You guys may have seen some of my materials. Uh, I've done several books for the Comic Book School website. I hope you check them out. I'm selling some of those things in the back of the room. The lovely and talented Glenn Herdling. Wave, Glenn. There you go. Glenn. Yeah, he's not that lovely. 
Um, I'm also debuting. I have a new photo reference book, which just came out in May, and I have a new comic book, Midlife Crisis. Now, the thing that's notable about this, this is educational panels, and these educational panels are uh, proof that I do this work myself. So it's not just the work that I do for Marvel or some of the independent publishers. This is, this is really my uh, love and passion as well. So the education that I'm getting as a creator trying to improve my craft and do better business as a comic book creator, this is all the kinds of stuff that I'm trying to communicate to you. I have a newsletter. You can sign up for the newsletter again by the lovely and talented Glenn, and uh, you can get information about that. Plus, later on in the day, somebody from the newsletter, uh, I had people, if you subscribe to the newsletter, you were entered into a uh, clearing where you could actually enter to be doing one of these with the artists later on. So the panel after Joe Casada, directly after Casada, we're gonna be doing the live sketching and I'm gonna be pulling somebody out of the audience. This is where you can find me. Uh, I'll be at H9 uh, all weekend. And I'm on Instagram. And as I've told you, some of the other people, if you got a photo of me where you, you've made me look a little thinner, maybe a little taller, maybe a little less gray, send those to me immediately. I, I need those for my personal collection. Also, I'd like to note our sponsors, and you're going to have to give them a nice round of applause as well. I reached out to Red Bull last year. I said, come on, check this out. And they said, we, we mostly do sports and extreme sports. We don't do events like this. And I said, look, Red Bull is responsible for more comic books shipping on time. <laughs> this is your audience. The guy on the half pipe, yeah, he's definitely your audience. But these are your people. So uh, in the back... The Wings team, wave it. make them feel welcome. This is all their first Comic-Con. They've never been to a Comic-Con before. Uh, one of them goes to FIT, one of them goes to uh, NYU. Uh, and I think it's pretty amazing that Red Bull is coming and they're starting to explore us as creators. And I think that uh, it's pretty amazing. So they'll be walking around if you want a drink. Uh, I call this comic book school. It's not school at all. You can get up, you can go to the bathroom if you want. There's no pass. Uh, you can move your seat. And then the Red Bull Wings team is here to give us some refreshments. So... I think it's wonderful that they're doing that. I also think it's wonderful. We also have a brand new sponsor this year, and Paul Mounts was using their markers. They're called Marvi Uchida, and they're an up-and-coming company trying to carve out a new place uh, amongst creators just like us. So I hope that you check them out. Uh, we'll be giving out some additional Marvi Uchida prizes later on. I'm going to show you what other panels that we have later on, because I heard that Joe's going to be a couple minutes late. So we just had storytelling. Creators do page breakdown. We have Creator Studio with Joe Casada. It's a one-on-one -on -one with Joe. No script. I, I have no questions I'm going to ask. But essentially, after the first question, it's improv for 45 minutes. So we'll see how that works out. Plotting to pencils. Right after this one, uh, we actually do have 90 minutes. Uh, the last, if the last one felt a little short, it's because I usually do those at 90 minutes. So we'll actually have 90 minutes to get into the script, get into the story, and really even answer your questions, because I knew a couple people were running up and they, they had additional questions. So as a resource, after this, we're going to be having Terry Dodson, Jim Calafiore, Joe Rybant, and again, Paul Mounts come back. Immediately following that Creator Connection, another 90-minute panel, I'm going to be having a whole bunch of people just like you come up and talk about comics that they created at Creator Connection, which is a networking panel. I've been doing this now for between about 18 and 20 years. It's a little hazy. My 20s are a little hazy in general. So uh, I created this panel as a networking panel. Even though I'm pretty outgoing, it is still difficult to walk up to somebody carrying a portfolio and just go, hey, can I see your art? It's, it's not normal for us 
to be able to do that. So I created this creator connection panel specifically to give people just like you and me the ability to get together. It's a way for me to connect you and then you guys have a dialogue. And that dialogue has led to many different projects being published, including the one I just referenced that Glenn has in the back of the room that I'm only selling for $3.99 right now. But the reality is, is these projects and all the people that you meet eventually become your friends who help you out. I'll give you an example. Glenn and I worked at Wizard together. Actually, Glenn and I met through Chris Eliopoulos, who was a letterer on something that I had done. Glenn and Chris and me met at a card game at Chris's house, which led to Glenn getting a job at Wizard, which led to Glenn becoming the publisher of Black Bull Comics. My introduction to the guy in the back there manning the camera. Nelson, would you wave your hands? This is Nelson DeCastro. I don't know if you guys know who he is. He's a famous painter and a comic artist. You could do a little better than that. Nelson has done work for most of the major publishers. Uh, his most famous work are, are painted covers. He, I think he did Fleer cards. He did covers for Dark Horse. He did a comic book called You a Demon. Another fine example of a friend helping out a friend. Like Nelson came, he had a concert last night that he was going to in Boston. Uh, but as a friend, I said, can you just help me with something? I need some professional filming. Nelson's like, not a problem. It was a problem. Because he was in Boston last night, and he came down, and he probably hasn't slept, which means you should get some Red Bull. Um, Red Bull girls, go give him something, because I think he probably needs to be tanked up. The reality is, is all the people who you connect with, no matter who they are, writers with other writers. My co-writer, who I worked on a project at Wizard, we created a comic, which is at my table, called Necrotic, and then he went on to Marvel and became my editor at Deadpool, and I will tell you without any shame at all, not one pitch that I've ever done, never, not one pitch have I ever done turned into a project. Nothing. In fact, when I was self-publishing, and you'll see the little logo, it's a little martini glass. That's because every possible project I've ever done was done over a pub, and that's how it works. It's your relationships. So, as you can see, our guest of honor has just about arrived. <laughs> Yes. So, we are about to do something uh, called Creator Studio. So, let me give you a quick introduction. Let's get naked. Let's. <laughs> oh, that's not what. Wrong panel, sorry. So, 20 plus years ago, I was a kid breaking into comic books as a journalist. I had a journalism degree, and the only way that I knew how to get into comics was using that journalism degree to interview people. And early on, uh, comic artists burst onto the scene doing a comic book called Ninjack for Valiant. No one had, I see some heads nodding. Yeah. And no one had seen art quite this energetic and passionate and mixed different styles from different fine and classical art and into comic books in such a consistent and amazing way. But he was also an amazingly accessible person. And he became one of the first people that let me interview him. So as his career trajectory took off, he actually brought everybody with him because he's such an incredibly nice guy. He became the editor-in-chief of Marvel, and he is now their chief creative officer. Everybody, please give a warm, very loud welcome to Joe Casada. I'll sit here. Cool. All right. This could be intimate. Hey guys, thank you. Sorry for being late. 
It's New York. And of course, this panel was, the, if there was a panel room that was the furthest from my house, this is it. Yeah. This is it. It's, it's north and it's as far west as we can be. So it's good though. Thanks for coming, guys. Good to see you, buddy. So I got, I got to say, I just got to say, and this, because it is the home crowd here. When I do these panels anywhere else, it's nothing like doing it here. New York panels rock. You guys are, uh, I love it. Yes. Yes. No slight to other panels. It's just, you know, you know. You got a, they get a lot of love in this. You know. They're very noisy. This is where it starts, man. So you've had an interesting couple of years. In fact, a couple, you crashed Netflix, right? Hey. <laughs> you know, you know I, I, can't, I can't say that. But some people say, there's people talking and saying that we might have crashed Netflix. I don't know if that's true, but people are saying so congratulations on crashing Netflix. Uh, it's a great start to a, a series of wonderful projects. Right. And that's the best congratulations I can think of. You crash Netflix. So I, it's also worth noting, I, I, you know, in preparation for this, I've known Joe for 20, almost 25 years. I went in. I, have you ever checked his IMDb profile? I mean, the guy actually has an IMDb profile. Yeah, see all the heads nodding. So you're, you're in everything. You came... Up as an artist, you became an artist writer, you became a publisher, you became a line editor, editor-in-chief. You have your hands in everything. How do you manage these myriad of different but related career choices and trajectories? Uh, well, first, I'm late for everything. Uh, but uh, you know what? It's, it's, uh, when you put it that way, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a yeah, lot. It's, suddenly, I'm like feeling really tired. Uh, you know, I, I don't, you, the way I manage it is just like, I've been very... I know you guys hear this a lot from people, but I've been really blessed in, in the fact that I love what I do. And, and I've told my friends, sort of my inner circle, if you guys, you know, there'll be days where I'm tired. There'll be days, if you guys ever hear me complain about my job, slap me. They won't, they were, no, physically slap me because I have worked some really, you know, I've worked, you know, jobs that I wasn't happy with. And I know there's people out there who work a lot harder you know, physically than I do. So I'm very, very blessed. So I, I, I never want to complain about it. But that's really what the key is. I mean, I, I, I get up early and, and, and I start work early and I work. People are like, what, what are you doing up at two or three in the morning? And I'm like, yeah, what am I doing up? It just, the time just goes by. I mean, I, I, I'm, so that's the only way I could tell you that I manage it. And, and depending on who you talk to, I don't manage it very well sometimes. But, uh, but I just, you know, it just, it becomes easier. Time, and time just flies, you know, when you're, when you're doing that. Well, if you're, if you're feeling at all tired, I can, I can give you some red wine. Because oh, yeah. I have sugar-free, if you want sugar-free. Uh, well, you know. Here's a sugar. I'll try one. Yeah, I don't nice. drink this stuff, but, you know, I've only had uh, six cups of espresso this morning, which is... So, um, I mean, seriously, I, it's only half my daily intake. Part of, part of the question I have is... Therein lies the second answer to your question. When is this, when is this ever going to be... Gonna, uh, this, you guys remember Event Comics? You guys remember Event Comics? So, early on, there was a, not enough applause for that, really. Because um, <laughs> not many people remember it. Not that many people. But I think the key thing is you were starting off as a creator and then immediately jumped into this role of a co-publisher. What did you learn from event comics that eventually would help you later as the editor-in-chief of Marvel? Oh, my God, there was so much. I mean, there, there were so many things along the way that, that, that helped. You know, before Jimmy and I, Jimmy Palmiotti and I started event comics, you know, we used to spend a lot of time at a local watering hole. They used to join us That's as right. well, too. Uh, it was called, it was called uh, uh, openers. Uh, openers, and it changed to Johnny Foxes. And, uh, and people thought we actually owned the bar because we were there 
all the time. Not drinking as much as just sitting there. You painted on Nelson, painted on the walls. Is that Nelson? Yeah, Nelson's back. Nelson, how are you, man? <laughs> Keep your pants on. You guys, I'm not joking. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but we used to spend a lot of time there and, and we spend, you know, we'd have lunch there because it was, it was three blocks away from Marvel. It was across the street from where I lived. Uh, and Jimmy was always in Manhattan anyway. So we would spend a lot of time there just sort of playing, you know, fantasy editor in chief, right? Like, like what would we do, you know, and, and, and how could they possibly be thinking about, you know, doing the things that they're doing? So we decided to put our money where our mouth was and, and, and start our own publishing company. And, and, uh, uh, considering how much press we had gotten as a company, mm-hmm. people were always surprised to find out that it was only three of us in the entire company. It was Jimmy and myself, our then publisher, Lori Braddock. But we, we learned, obviously, the, you know, how you make the sausage, right? The physical making of comic books. We knew some of that, right? But, but for, from our extent, from the, from the artist's point of view, you hand in your pages and, and you get told kind of along the way what's happening, but then suddenly it's a comic book and you don't really realize all the, 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 the pushing and pulling that editors have to do to, to get it just right and, and, and how you have to, uh, you know, uh, collaborate and compromise along the way with other creators so that everybody can get a piece of their vision in as much as possible because it's an incredibly collaborative medium, right? There's, you know, there, there are some more tours that aren't business, but, but very few of them, right? So just because of the, the weekly and monthly churn of conflicts. So we learned a lot of that. And then we also learned what we were really good at, too, which was just relationships with people and treating people fairly. But I think that comes from us being on the other side of the table and treating people the same way that we wanted to be treated as creators. And I think that has really served us really, really well, both of us along the way. You know, Jimmy's taken a different path than I've taken a different path. But I think those lessons uh, have, have helped our career tremendously. That's why we're still here, I think. Now, let me just go back to something you just said, something about relationships. It's this one. And... Um, I would imagine. I swear I'm not drunk yet. <laughs> so uh, a lot of you probably don't know this. Nelson will obviously remember it. Um, you guys were sort of the center of the hurricane in terms of the New York community. In fact, creators would come from outside of New York, and you guys would throw amazing parties at clubs that would uh, not clubs. Sometimes even pubs that would close their doors, lock the doors, and if you were in, you were in. It was openers. There one pub that would. So what did that community mean to you when you were then thrust into the position of becoming editor-in-chief of Marvel during a, what I would consider a pretty tough time at Marvel, I, right? It, it meant everything. And, and I'll, I'll never forget the fateful meeting that, that Jimmy and I had uh, with then president of Marvel, a gentleman by the name of Joey Calamari. We used to call him Joey Squid. And you could actually call him Joey Squid. That was, it was cool. Uh, and, uh, and Joe sat there and he said, I, I don't get it. How do you guys manage... You're a three-person company. I can't imagine you have any marketing budget. How do you get so much press? And in the back of our minds, we're thinking about these insane parties that we would throw uh, that were just fun for us, but people would come on down. I can't tell you how often I've heard, long after the fact, that that bar that you guys owned. No, no, we didn't own the bar. <laughs> they just loved us at this bar. It was a great place. And, uh, but we threw, we threw parties that you could not throw today. Uh, you just couldn't do it. There's too uh, much photography today. You would just, just, just the, the you know, we, we had, uh, Nelson, since you're here, I'm going to tell a great story for you. It was for your birthday. Uh, you're taking the fifth. Uh, <laughs> just a little inside baseball, but we all love Nelson. And, and, and Nelson, Nelson was part of that crew. Uh, and uh, just to torture him on his birthday, we hired a mime. And, <laughs> and the mime was to, his strict orders 
was to do everything that Nelson did. <laughs> so everywhere Nelson went in the bar, if he went to the bar and grabbed his drink, the mime would grab a big leech, and he would just mimic Nelson the entire time. So it infuriated Nelson for about the first hour. And then after that, he said, screw it. Now I'm going to screw with the mime. And then Nelson started to do really obscene stuff. He would go out into the streets and... and I'll let him tell that story off the record later. Uh, but, but it was those kind of things. You know, and then, then we'll, you know, if it, it, we usually surrounded it around somebody's birthday or a holiday or something. And I think it was for, for Amanda Connor's birthday. Uh, we, I mean, again, this is, this is a tavern with nine foot ceilings, maybe eight foot. I mean, it was low, right? And we hired a fire breather to come in, uh, uh, a poodle act, you know, so it was just like, a, like poodles jumping through rings. And, and, uh, and, it, would, and it would get. There were nuttier things that I just can't even talk about. Not all of them. It's not, it's not uh, if there's children in the audience, I can't talk about it. Oh, there was the electric chair. We got the electric chair that, that Nelson, uh, it, was, it was a big prop from a magic store called Abracadabra, and we sat Nelson in the electric chair. He didn't know that there was a dry cell battery attached to it. <laughs> so so it, was that, it, was, it was kind of like a carnival kind of atmosphere, and it was a lot of fun. And people, and, but we weren't necessarily doing it as marketing. We were just doing it because... It's fun. You know, it's a, it's a great art community. Marvel was right. So, so there's constant artists coming in and out of town, and they were all centered around there. And then, but then we, it turned out that we got marketing out of that, you know, and, and, and people just liked us. And, and, you know, you guys don't have money, but we'll just do this for you. It's, you know, thanks for the good time. And so it was that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, and I remember then as Marvel Knights is coming up, it became Marvel Knights parties, right? Yeah. So the Marvel Knights. But Marvel had no budget at all. Um, so as we would go to conventions, those Marvel night parties that we would throw, like, like you know, the, there's a Marvel party tomorrow and there's a convention party tonight. Marvel had no budget. So we would throw the parties. We would just say, screw it, out of our own pocket, we're just going to do this, you know. And uh, again, that, that, it, but that's, that was just always the approach. Now, in a relatively short amount of time, because I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, one of the reasons Marvel had no money was because as you were there, Marvel was in Chapter 11. So Chapter 11 is a bankruptcy um, designation where it's protection from your creditors with the intent of coming out. A New York Times article said that Marvel's stock had risen as you came on, 12.5 cents to a whopping $2.30. It's documented. It's very interesting to note that later Marvel was bought by Disney, and Disney's stock is now $92.45. So, you know, it was a pretty dark time when you joined. Take me to the time when you're asked to come on, not just as a line editor, but to edit the whole ship. Talk to me about what, what, what's happening in your mind. What are you thinking? What's the internal monologue of I'm, I'm taking over a Chapter 11 company as an editor? Uh, well, I remember when, when I got the offer, Bill Jemison pulled me aside, took me out to lunch, and he, he made me the offer. And, uh, you know, I, everybody knew Marvel was in trouble. I didn't know that this changed, that they were going to change editor-in-chiefs, but, uh, and certainly if they were going to change editor-in-chiefs, I couldn't imagine that they would hire somebody from the outside. So when he broke the news to me, I said, listen, I, I, I need the weekend to think about it. Because in my mind, there, there were two possibilities, right? You could, be, you could be the last, you know, captain on the Titanic. Didn't want to be that. Or, you know, you have nowhere to go but up. And then I remember speaking to my wife at that time and, and, and sort of vacillating as I do, you know, to, to make a decision. And she said, well, look, they're going to hire somebody anyway. Better the devil you know. I'm like, well, I guess I don't know anybody better than me. So, uh, so then I sort of, I, wrote, I, I decided, okay, I'm going to take the job, but I'm only going to take the job 
with a list of stipulations of things that we have to be have to become a corporate initiative and directive important to us for us to really for me to really be excited to do this you know things like we had no trade paperback program. I mean, we had zero trade paperback programs. DC was killing us in that area. Everyone was killing us in that area. And so when I, when I sat with, with Bill and I, and I read off the list, as it turned out, he had a very similar list to me. So we were thinking along the same lines. So at that point, it was like, okay, let's just, let's just give this a go. Let's go for the ride, you know? Um, but it, was, it, it took me a weekend to, to sit and really sort of think about the decision and figure out what was best for my career, for for uh, event comics, which was Marvel Knights, uh, and uh, and everything else moving forward. What was the for you the scariest part of this offer, and then the flip side of that? What was the most what was the most exciting part for you? Um, like I said, the, the the only I can't say there was anything scary about it. What was actually scary at that time was that you just, the comic book industry. If you weren't reading or, or, or selling comics at the time or publishing comics at the time, it's hard to sort of grasp this. But the comic book industry, and this started before we were offered the Marvel Knights gig. Mm-hmm. Every month, and you were at Wizards, you saw this mm-hmm. happen too. Every month, sales were going lower mm-hmm. and lower and lower. And, and I remember being up at Marvel and, and, and some editor saying, you know, I think we've hit rock bottom. And then the next month, it's lower. Now, as an indie publisher, it was killing me too, right? Because as Marvel goes, I really firmly believe so goes the industry, right? Uh, and sales were just dropping like a stone and, and retailers were going out of business left and right. And as an industry, we're all sitting there going, holy mackerel, are we even going to be able to, to publish comics anymore? Uh, and from an artist perspective, you're sitting there going, I don't know what else to do, <laughs> you know? Uh, I'm going to have to go and you know, find a day job and learn another skill. Uh, so there, there was a, that was, I think, just sort of the, I think that was an all-encompassing fear throughout the industry. Like, where is the bottom? And how can, because once you hit bottom, then you can think about how you get to rebuild. Right. But it just kept, we were free fall. Uh, and I think it started to stabilize a little bit sometime after Marvel Knights had, had, had started. Not saying that we were the reason it stabilized, but, but things started to get a little bit more stable. And Marvel at least had a plan. So I, I can't say I was really afraid about anything, but other than just the industry. But with respect to what excited me, I mean, what's, what's not to be excited about? It's like, it's like, wow, okay, we, you know, we came in and we asked for four characters and now I'm being allowed to, you know, destroy the childhoods of every fan. <laughs> yeah. uh. So I think it was interesting that, you know, you were very much where Stan Lee was in the 60s when he was thinking about leaving Marvel. Famous story about Stan Lee, he felt like he was a failure in comics, and his wife famously said, well, if you're leaving anyway, just do the comic you want to do. And yeah. in 1961, he came out with the Fantastic Four. That was what we would charitably call in our area, Hail Mary Pass. Do you have sort of the Hail Mary Pass where you said, I'm going to give this a shot? And in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, the first issue of Jessica Jones, which is the first major profanity in a Marvel comic. Was there a Hail Mary or something that you said, I'm going to give this the best I've got and I'm going to give it a shot. Because you did take some gambles early on. Not everything was, it, it you know. Would, I mean, there were so many. When you look at those initial three, four, five years, everything was a gamble. Everything, you know, it was the Wild West. And I think the biggest one was the Ultimate Universe. Mm-hmm. That, was, that was the one, I think, that really turned things around. Because, uh, there you go. Thank you. Uh, because nobody, I mean, again, I... If you, if, you, if you can locate some of the fan press at that time, mm-hmm. there was no idea 
no, before it even came out, that was more reviled than the idea of relaunching Spider-Man in this ultimate universe and retelling the origin. I mean, it was just brutal. And then the book came out and, you know, everybody knew it was going to be great. <laughs> so, uh, but that was a big one. That was a big one. I mean, it, it was... Um, it was a big gamble for us, you know, to, to try to do this. But I think it paved the way for uh, not only the cinematic universe, uh, but the, the, the tone of the, the, the regular Marvel universe moving forward. It just showed what's possible and, and, and what fans really, really want and, and can accept and, 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 and how to revitalize these characters. Was, at that point, the Ultimate Universe the biggest gamble, or was it introducing the first mature line at Marvel. What would you say was one of the bigger gambles for you? There were a lot of them, but I mean, they, from separating from the previous catalog, I mean, there was, there was so many things that happened. Yes, the mature line, it's hard to say. It really, and, and the other thing is, it's a blur. <laughs> There's so much stuff that, that I tend, until you start talking about this stuff to me, I really, I don't spend a lot of time thinking backwards. I know it sounds weird, but it's just like I got so much I want to play moving forward. And I'm sure after this is done, I'm going to go, oh, that was the biggest <laughs> gamble, you know? Uh, maybe hiring Brian Bendis was... That was a big gamble. Actually, it wasn't an evident hire either. I mean, that was... If you guys remember, he was coming off of uh, Goldfish, and then he did some Sam and Twitch, and then you brought him on. I mean, he, he was not an heir apparent to take over a Spider-Man book. No, no. So that you had... And I think it goes to you as a creator. You were not just someone who had drawn other people's books. You'd written your own. Yeah. Um, how did that give you... Uh, a? a sense of storytelling when you came into Marvel that maybe had maybe even lost the, had frittered away in the entire industry. We were not in good times. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I think it, it's just a matter of learning your craft and continuously learning your craft. You know, as, as I, as I delve, even today, as I delve into different mediums, right? So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm in the television world. I've never done television before this. I spend a lot of time asking questions and trying to learn the craft of television. Uh, as best I can. But it was the same thing with, with, with comics. Um, I lost track of the question. <laughs> well, your background as a creator, oh, right. and not just as an artist, yeah. right? You were the first major uh, editor-in-chief as an yeah. illustrator yeah. who's identified mostly as a penciler, not as a, although you'd done plenty right. of so, writing. So yeah, it has to do with learning craft. And, and I think knowing your craft, it helps you identify creators that know it as well. You yeah. know, there, there's... Um, I forget what the actual science of it is, but you know, there, there's that theorem that it, 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 obviously in order to do a job incredibly well, you have to master how to do that job. In order to know that a job is done poorly, you also have to be a master of the job because then you really don't know, right? Or, or you're kind of too dumb to know that you're dumb at something, right? Um, That's a Dunning-Kruger effect. Is that what it people, is? People yeah. are too See, stupid you, to know that they're stupid. I knew they were. See, you're so smart. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so I, I again, I, I really I, I pride myself as best as possible to, you know, I didn't start out as a writer, but I went out there and, 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 I, and I tried to learn as much about writing as I possibly can. Uh, because, it, you know, I can certainly never write as well as Brian can, but I'm able to identify, I think, somebody who's like, oh, this is a guy that could really, really cut it in our, in our business. And, you know, you never write 100% of the time, but if you write more often than not, then, you, you know, you can run a really successful publishing business. And for me, it all started with the writing. That was the other thing, is, is as much as, you know, again, I cite on the artist side of things. Uh, as an artist, I did not want to draw stories that were not well-written. There's nothing, there's no worse fate in life than to, to draw a crappy story. That's a crappy, crappily written story. So I always gravitated towards strong writing and felt that if you have strong writing, everything else will follow. 
you'll get great artists. And there was a buzz amongst us journalists and or fan press that you were going to make image New York City, right? Because you were coming as an artist, and yet you turned Marvel to be much more writer-focused, and it seemed to turn the tide in the right direction to where we are today. It It was everything. It was really, really everything. Because I know there's an argument as to what sells a comic, great art or great story. Back during the collector's boom, right, when everybody got rich, it was all about the art. Nobody cared about the story because 70% of those books were never written. They were never taken out of a bag, out of of a plastic bag. It was all about who is the artist. And and by the way, that did form, that did great for the image guys. They were were at the right place, right time, excellent art, great energy. As we're rebuilding a business, that's not what's going to sell books. What's going to sell books are engaging stories that, mm-hmm. that, that when you get to the last page, you're like, damn it, i got to pick up the next one. Uh, if we could do that, I would argue that at that time, you could, you could, you could build a tremendous business uh, without superstar artists. You could build a tremendous business with guys who are solid, great storytellers, as long as you have incredible writers behind it. And I think that proved to be really, really true. Yeah, even even to this day, you know, right now, everybody talks about if we're going to improve our publishing business, we have to make our stories better. We have to get down to the core of our characters. That's the way we operate. That day of the superstar artist, while there are artists that do drive the business somewhat, mm-hmm. it's nothing compared to those days where you could put, you know, superstar artist number two on a book, number three on another book, and it's guaranteed to sell. And literally, there could be no words in that book. Taking a sip of my Red Bull. <laughs> Are we sponsored by Red Bull? Is We're that... sponsored in the back. Where are the Red Bull girls? Where's my Wings team? Yeah, they're giving out free Red Bull, so nice. they, they want it. Well, in that case, I need to get another one. You need another Red Bull? I have a couple more of these. It's just, just. Anybody out there want a Red Bull? Yeah, I told. I said that uh, more comics have shipped on time thanks to Red Bull probably than any other liquid in history. You said something earlier, and I think I want to. Um, I want to note that we didn't work any of this out. In advance, he didn't give me any requirements. Of course, forgot to give can or cannot, <laughs> can or cannot answer. You use the word reviled, and I think it's a, I think it's a very charged word. And I know that outwardly, you have to have a face for Marvel, but I know inwardly, and I know that you're a sensitive person and you're thoughtful. What does it feel like when fan anger? is pointed to you. Right. What is that like? I mean, you're, you're just not an, an average creator had a crappy issue. I mean, you're, you get a lot thrown at you. What's that yeah, like? I, I, I'll, I, remember, I remember a day, I was at the job of editor-in-chief. You know, it's one thing when you get it as a creator, right? It's nothing compared to when you're getting it for everything and you're editor-in-chief. I remember Tom DeFalco came into my office. I was, I was at the job for about a week. He came into my office. Now, Tom had been the editor-in-chief uh, there, was, there was Bob Harris, who was, who was the editor chief prior to me, but Tom was prior to, to me. And he came in and he said, um, can I give you one piece of unsolicited advice? I'm like, give me as much as you want. And he said, to do this job, you have to have a broad back. If you don't have a broad back, Joe, quit right now, I'm telling you. you, you it's not going to be healthy for you. And I'm like, I got it. You know, I got it. And... I, I, I accept it. I mean, it, it, it becomes, because I know it's not personal. Even when people say, you know, uh, Joe hates, Joe hates, you know, uh, the X-Men. Joe hates Spider. Well, come on, it, it, really, I do not. <laughs> uh, and I know that, right? So, so I, I, don't, I don't take it seriously. I, I, because, you know, I, I've often said it's, 
on the internet, or just in fandom in general, fans treat our characters like they're three-dimensional walking human beings who could literally walk through the door right now. But they treat editors, creators, everyone else as though we are two-dimensional comic book characters, mm. in some cases twirling a mustache. But you know what? That's actually cool. That's actually okay because it just means that we're doing a really good job of making those two-dimensional characters real. But I, I fully accept it. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it, it doesn't... It gets, it gets a little crazy when it's completely unwarranted and it's based on you know, fabricated rumors that are out there and, and uh, that gets frustrating. But ultimately, I knew that that came with the job. Absolutely came with the job. So I, I don't take any of it personally. Uh, you know, the, the stuff that really keeps me up at night is if I know a creator is unhappy or a friend is unhappy. That's the stuff that really bothers me because that affects me and my world and, and sort of my worldview of how to do business and how to, how to treat people, you know? So, but I don't, I don't, uh, and look, when I started as editor in chief, the first thing I said was, I'm going to, I'm going to use this to my, to my best interest. I, this, you know, fandom has been very, very quiet. Let's stir it up a little bit. And I, I, I kind of came, you know, created this, uh, this wrestling persona, you know, the, to go out there and just, just say things. And a lot of it was very calculated just to get Marvel fans riled up, or to, more importantly, get DC fans riled up. <laughs> and, uh, but because I love that rivalry. I love the idea that there's Marvel fans and DC fans in there, some people in between, but that, that like, no, we're better, no, we're better. That's so healthy, I think, for comics in a lot of ways, because it drives units and it, has, it gets people talking about their characters and why a certain writer is better than another writer, why a certain character stronger than another. That's all, that's what comics is about, you know? And, and, and so uh, I was happy to maybe stir that pot a little bit. So some of it was intentional and, and, and brought on, uh, you know, by, by, by my own stupidity in a lot of ways. <laughs> now, I, I would imagine that this is part of your upbringing uh, in the New York area, uh, to be a little bit tough, to stir things up a little bit. How does this play internationally and globally? I mean, you know, well, the personality here, everybody gets the jokes. Yeah. You go sometimes to different places and they just, they're not getting it. Um, you, do you have to make shifts for that? It depends on where you go. It really depends on where you go. But I think a lot of people get it or, or if they don't, uh, I've had a lot of people like meet me personally and go, oh, you're really not an asshole, are you? I'm like, <laughs> uh, no, no, no. I just, I just play one on the internet. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but no, it's, 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 it's been, it's been, it, it hasn't been an issue, you know, in that sense. Let's go back to something you said a little bit earlier about your toolbox. I, I noticed, um, at least in your um, photos that you've posted online, that you, you started to shift from straight pencil and paper uh, onto, I think, a Wacom, right? Yep. Onto a Wacom. Um, why would somebody like you go and, you know, experiment with this new medium? You're, you're a master of the page. Right. Why would you start to experiment there? Is the, Do you see this as the new direction that... that Many because a lot of the people here are here for because they're aspiring creators. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I I, I love adopting. Look, I, I I studied. I didn't go to. I went to an art school. And I didn't go there to be a comic book artist. That wasn't my major. My major was illustration. Uh, I actually took two comic book courses and failed them both. Uh, so I, I kid you not. <laughs> I failed Will Eisner and I failed Harvey Kurtzman's class um, just because I didn't hand in my final projects. I just wasn't interested in doing comics at that time. But as a professional illustrator or, or aspiring professional illustrator, hey man, whatever makes the work better, whatever makes the work faster or allows you to use certain techniques that you can't do physically uh, or, or, or new techniques to come in, I, I just wanna, I wanna try whatever works. And, and I started experimenting with digital and I found that it just, it allows me to do certain things 
either faster or if it doesn't allow me to do it faster, it allows me to do it more accurately mm -hmm. than I normally could. Uh, and I, again, I think my job as, a, as an artist is to provide the, the, the best art I'm physically able to provide to my client and uh, hopefully within the deadline that they aspire to have it uh, in the best way I can. And, and, and if that means using digital or if it means using analog or whatever it takes, that's what I'm gonna use, you know? And I also don't wanna be caught behind a curve where uh, I'm not uh, in tune to what all other artists are starting to learn. You know, I, I have a 15 year old daughter and you know, she's doing some stuff on paper, but she loves drawing on digital as well. So uh, it's, it is the way of the future. The only, the only reason comics today are behind the digital curve, because they are behind the digital curve when it comes to animation and professional and everything else, is because there is an original art market. If that original art market did not exist, I could see more and more artists saying, screw it, I'm going digital, you know? And I'm talking about young artists, because sure. you know, there, there, are, there are older artists who are just like, you know, it's just what I do, and I don't want to learn a new thing. And that's cool. But that's the only reason why, why comic book artists still do analog art, basically. Now, what are you doing for your personal experimentation and learning on this new platform? Obviously, you know, the first thing I saw you doing is you were mastering your line work, and, I, and you were posting it. And it's a very interesting uh, stream to watch or follow, and I think mostly on Twitter I'm following it. Yeah, I post, I post it everywhere, you know. Uh, but what are you, what are you doing? So are you, are, you, are you trying new techniques? Are you getting the latest and greatest? How are, how are you approaching I'm, I'm this? I'm always, you know, I, I never used to ink my own work. Mm -hmm. um, and, and now I'm able to ink my own work. Uh, just because I, I don't have, I, I never learned, and I didn't have the patience to sit there and really try to learn my, how to steady my hand and how to handle a brush. You know what? They're going to hire an inker. Let the inker do it. <laughs> Jimmy's going to ink it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, so so it's, it's allowed me to actually uh, be able to ink with a tool that feels comfortable. And it's allowed me to go back to painting, which I haven't done. I mean, you guys haven't seen a lot. I mean, I do a lot of stuff, personal stuff for myself. So it's allowed me to, 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 to go back to painting and, and, and without having to you know, invest <laughs> in a whole set of paints and, and, and everything else that I would need to do it. It's just all there in one place. But also part of the reason I like to, I like to uh, put this stuff out there is because I'm, and, and I learned this from having a child and my daughter. Uh, what, I, what I wanna try to do, for, especially for young artists who, who are following, is to try to demystify the process of art, right? Mm -hmm. Perfect example I'll give you. Where, where it sort of hit home was, I remember my daughter trying to, she was sitting next to me on an art table and she was trying to draw what I was drawing and getting really, really frustrated and then walking away in anger. And I'm like, what's the issue? And she's like, I can't do it like you do it. And I'm like, I'm like, I, I, I have been doing this <laughs> since before you were born. Since you were that small, right? And, when I, and I didn't draw anywhere near as well as you do. But it was hard for her to grasp it. And then I, and then I immediately remember falling, thinking about my own childhood and as I was trying to copy something from another, from another artist and not being able to get it and getting frustrated, but eventually working through it and realized, you know what? I, I bet a lot of young artists see pros and think, why can't I do it? Why can't I get that line? What? So I try to demystify that process as much as possible and say, no, no, you know what? A lot of this stuff is also done with tricks and mirrors and, and, and 3D models and all this stuff that's out there. It's okay to use it. There's no sin in it. Because as a lot of our professional artists can attest, we would hear stories sometimes about, hey, did you know that, that this one particular genius artist can start drawing on the left-hand corner and just... <laughs> 
finish an entire cut just in one fell swoop, and we would go, wow, really? And then you'd realize, that's complete and utter bullshit. It, it's, it's, not, it's, not a, it's not at all how it happens. But you hear a lot of these, you know, these myths about how certain people are just able to just do it, and then without really knowing all the work. And then I realized a lot of it also comes from the fact that people don't see the behind-the-scenes stuff, right? I just finished, literally about 10 minutes ago, I finally finished a Star Wars cover that I've been working like an hour at a time on. Um, and people will see the final product and go, oh, it's good or it sucks or one or the other. But what they don't see is that, well, now it's a digital wastebasket. I have a digital wastebasket of maybe 30 or 40 rejected sketches or rejected anatomical turns or twists to a particular arm or to a shoulder. It took me an hour just to work out this one shoulder position uh, just to get that one image. They'll see the final image and go, artists will go, oh, why can't I get that? You know, because that's the way I was, and I think most artists are. So I, I post a lot of this stuff to try to help demystify that process and to show uh, show some of the magic tricks that happen behind the scenes. Uh, I even had an artist once that got pissed off at me for sure. He's like, "Why are you showing them that? Those are like the like because people need to learn this stuff. It's cool. It's all right. If it, if, it, if it gets one kid past the point of frustration where they go." oh, okay, it's okay to screw up. It's okay to throw this piece of paper away. Which again, I had to go through with my daughter. I'm like, if it's no good, just throw it out. Start again, right? And until you get it right. It's the only way you're going to get it right. Um, if I can get some artists, if it don't take one, if, I, you know, if one kid just continues going, that's kind of cool. You know? And what do you want to accomplish as a creator? Forget the publishing thing, forget the, you know, the, the creative, what do you want to accomplish as a creator that you're still pushing to get to? Completed utter world domination. <laughs> no, I just, you know, I just want to, I want to do good work. I have, a, I have a couple of things that are on my wish list of things that I want to do, one in particular, and I'm actually going to get to achieve it, but I can't say what it is here because it's, I, I can't announce it. But it's, it's, it, there was one thing that's been on my wish list for a very long time, even before I was at Marvel. And uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually, that, that's, that's one off the bucket list that, uh, something that I really want to do. And then not just do it once. I just, you know, it's, it's something that I, a skill that I've been sort of building up to. What's something else that's on your bucket list that you feel like aspirationally you still need to accomplish? Um, I, have a, I have a book that I'm writing and drawing. Uh, again, it's all been piecemeal. I've, I've been working on this now for five years, maybe six years. Mm -hmm. And it's, uh, it's not a superhero story, it is sequential, and it's really more of like a, just sort of a kid's fantasy tale. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of an old ages thing. And it's, it's funny because I, I, it's actually drawn in my real style. Like people, when people see my, you see my superhero stuff, my real style is really cartoony. It's very, very cartoony. So it's actually drawn, this is like me just totally amassed. This is me, here it is. And eventually, you know, I'll finish it and get it out there. I mean, I've got it pretty much all written. Because I don't draw until it's all written. That's one that, that I'm anxious to one day be able to sit down. I keep saying, yeah, you know, I'll have, I'll have some time to work on it next week. I say, I have a little opening in my schedule, and then that'll need to go close down. And I got no time. So, uh, but I do hope to, to finish that someday. Now, one standard piece of advice, as we're running out of time here, one standard piece of advice. Many of these people who are aspiring creators have come here with the hopes of seeing you, maybe connecting with you. What advice could you give to the aspiring either writer or artist who is coming here mm -hmm. with the hopes of seeing Joe Casada, maybe getting that elevator moment with you. Right. What advice could you give the people who are here, and maybe some tra travel pretty far to get here? Yeah. Um, you know, there, 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 there's more. It's, 
It's obviously hard to distill it down into one piece of advice. But really, it, it, it all comes down to mastery. It really does. You have to, whatever your chosen discipline is, whether you want to write, whether you want to draw, whether you want to color, you have to master your craft. And you cannot do that unless you do it, right? Writers have to write, artists have to draw. I'll break it down into, into hopefully a simple metaphor. I love baseball, love baseball. Wanted to be a professional baseball player all my life. And to become, I'll, I'll, I'll break it down even more personally. My daughter's a figure skater and, and loves it with all her life. She's up at 4.30 every morning. She goes to the rink, she skates all morning long, then goes to school, does her homework, comes home, sometimes she skates at night. Every day, six days a week, in the summertime, she skates eight hours a day. That's what she wants to do, right? So if you want to be a professional baseball player, uh, an Olympic skater, whatever it may be, you have to practice every day. You have to be in the batting cages every day. You have to field ground balls every day. It's the same thing with art. You cannot just assume that it just happens because you don't, it doesn't happen because you don't feel inspired today. I don't care if you're not inspired today. Pick up a pencil and draw something. I don't care if you're not inspired as a writer today, you're not feeling it. Get behind the keyboard and write something. It's it, it, especially on the days you're not feeling it. That's where it really happens. That's where you really have to push through. And then in contrast to that, uh, you also have to be forgiving of yourself. And you have to understand that some days it's just not gonna happen. Mm -hmm. You're not gonna be at your best and, and, and the drawing isn't gonna rock and the writing isn't gonna rock. And, but you know, so you're in a slump, but you have to keep plowing through. You have to grind it out. And it's the only way you're going to become if you want to be a professional, if you just want to do it as a hobby, that's a whole other thing. But if you want to be a professional, it's the only way it's going to happen. Whether it's indie, Marvel, DC, anybody, you know, so. Can you think of it? Thank you. Yeah, there's people over there. Was there ever a time that you, during your ascent, you know, coming out of 93 when you came in on uh, Ninjack through the years, you just thought, I'm done, thrown in the towel. Was there ever a dark time for you that you just felt like, I'm going to go do something else? No. And no. What, what was it that grounded you that said, that a lot of people think about throwing that, why did you never think about quitting? I just, I just, I was surrounded by good people, right? I had like-minded friends. And, and I never had any doubt uh, about the fact that I was going to, to, to make it in the industry. Um, and I also, you know, and it's something that, uh, that Jimmy and I, you know, had agreed on. One of the key decisions that we had made was, you know, we had both worked on Ninjack at Valiant and we had a relationship at Valiant that sort of fell apart. And that's, that was the impetus for us to start Event Comics. Mm -hmm. I had been offered prior to that to be a second wave image guy, right? Like when Capullo and Jay mm -hmm. Lee and those guys were, sure. right? They were, the, they were the second wave guys. And they made a ton of money. I had been offered to be part of that wave. Uh, and Jimmy and I discussed it. I said, you know, I'm not gonna do it. Because at the end of the day, I will always be known as Jim's guy or Todd's guy. Or, you know, it, it, and even though, um, this is just like to Greg and those guys. I mean, yeah. they did really, really well for themselves. I said, but I, but I, you know, we talked about it. Let's carve our own path. Let's just do it. So we started an independent company uh, in the worst time in the history 
of comics when it was, you know, to start a company. Yeah. But we did okay. You know, we did okay as a three-person company with a few books and a few characters. And uh, I think those this kind of decisions that we've both done during our lifetime, and, and a lot of successful creators, when you ask them about those decisions, it's when they, like, okay, you know, it's a clear path right here. I can make a lot of money. And some people take that path, and it's great, and it works for them. And for others, it's like, you know what, I'm going to try this way. And, and it's that old adage, you know, the most successful people on the planet have failed more than, more than you or I have ever attempted to do anything. Because it's the only way. Nobody, nobody you know, hit, hits a home run the first time out. You just have to uh, take your chances and, and, and try to take the, what path works for you. And the path for, for me at that time was you know, uh, the, the one less traveled and a little riskier, but it was a belief in myself, Jimmy's belief in himself, and, and, uh, and uh, kind of worked out. Kind of worked out. Yeah, kind of worked out okay yeah. for you. So, looking into your crystal ball, mm. where are you in 10 years? Oh, man. Um, I, don't, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, I, I, it's when, again, those early days of Marvel, you know, I, I, I used to, you could probably find, find this on the internet and stuff where I, where I would say, you know, I, I'm so tired of comics being in this sort of creative ghetto in the art world, right? People look at comics like, you know, it's just, you know, it's just, it's just a crappy arts medium. It's not, it's not real art. Um, and the hope was, you know, to someday be able to, to, to have great movies and, 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 and have it be considered great literature, which I think we, we're, we're at that point today. I don't know. I don't know what I, I mean, I, I, all I know is that I want to, I want to continue telling stories in some way, shape, or form. You know, what, what are the things... I, I love being chief creative officer. The, the, the difficult part with it is that I don't, I get to work with a lot of other people's creative stuff. Right. And I get to, uh, to contribute to a lot of the stuff that we're doing as a group creatively. But there's very little that I'm doing that is pure just me. This is just my stuff, you know? That's why I'm, that's why I'm working on that kid's book. It, it sort of helps keep that side of the brain sane. So I, I'm thinking that maybe in 10 years, you know, I, I'll be doing something that's a little more... Uh, I'm not saying it wouldn't be for Marvel. I'm just saying it's, it's, it would be a little more personal, at least sort of, sort of more me than, than me working with somebody on other projects. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. You know, it's, uh, right now I've got so much on my plate, it's hard to really think beyond, uh, what time is it? <laughs> yeah. So we have the time for one more question. And the question is, um, you know, we look back at, we say Jack and Stan, right? We, we, we name them first name because... Their work is so intimate to us, and they have left a long path and a legacy. And there are people recording this today, recording every word that you say, and there's, <laughs> there, is a, <laughs> there is a rich fandom out there, and they're recording things. Uh, what do you want people to know about you and the legacy that you leave 25 years in the future, long after you're not active every day. Oh man, that you're, you're, that requires me thinking a lot more about myself than I, you know, uh, than I, time than I would ever spend. Um, you know, I just, I guess I'll say the same thing that I said when I started as editor in chief. My sole goal is that when it's all said and done, at least my Marvel tenure, whether it's editor in chief or chief editor officer, my sole goal is to hopefully leave the characters in as good a shape as they were when I found them, and hopefully maybe better. If I could do that, if I could, if I could, if I could do that, then 
That's cool, because that's the job, right? That's the job. As much as we spin these characters' lives and, and unmarry Peter Parker or whatever you want to blame me for, right? Which, by the way, was the right thing to do. Um, at the end of the day, I hope that we look back and go, yeah, these characters are, you know, they're, 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 still, they're still here, right? And, and they're, they're still kind of cool and relevant. So as far as my Marvel career, that's what I would hope. As far as my personal career, you know, I just want people to say, hey, you know, he, 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 he spun a good story, he told a good yarn, uh, whether, it was, whether it was drawing, writing, or even just talking at a panel. Uh, and because uh, that, that seems to be all I've been doing my entire life is just sort of, you know, talking and keeping people engaged in something or other. Uh, and maybe sparked a, a, an imagination here or two because when I look at somebody like Stan Lee, when I look at somebody like Jack Kirby, those guys, and I told Stan this, I saw him in Toronto at his panel and I, and I hugged him and I said to him, he saved my life because, and, and, you know, and, and I say that in a really broad term, it's not like I was suicidal and I read Fantastic Four, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not gonna hang myself today. No, it was, it was I don't know where my life would be if I hadn't have read those original comics. I don't know if I would have understood that there was a road for a kid who spent his days, I was an only child, who spent his days in a, in a, in a room making up fantasy stories about, about you know, sword fights and, and spaceships and stuff like that. I would have known that there was a road for that. And reading Stan and reading Jack and, and Steve and all those guys said, oh wow, there's a place. There's a place where people are doing this for a living, and it's kind of cool. So if there's a kid out there, you know, who someday says, yeah, you know, I read that and it, and it, and it gave me a, a spark, that's enough for me, you know, so. I can't think of a better place to stop and say thank you to Joe Casada for his generous time. Thank you all for coming. We're gonna take Joe, hustle him off to the stage, get a couple of photos. I'm sure you guys will want to have a couple of photos with Joe as well. Thank you so much, Joe, for being Thanks, here. Pleasure, we really appreciate it. One more round of applause for Joe Cassad, everybody. Thank you. Guys. Thank you.